following message is by a guest speaker at Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. How is it a guy who is so full of life so much fun to be around and, and really connected with students and, and really helped them find God. And in the midst of his ministry, what was happening was that he, things that were going on in his life that he just didn't feel comfortable or free enough to tell other people. And even when people began to get near to him and sense that something was wrong, he still suffered in silence. And I don't know what the consequences are going to be for his wife and his children uh, in the future, but I realized that it's it's difficult to suffer in silence. And then I realized it's probably just not him, but there are probably myriads of people who come to church Sunday in and Sunday out and suffer in, <coughs> and suffer in silence. So I have a couple of things that I, I'd like to share with why people suffer in silence. And the first one is pride. So there's a little slide there. Um, I did slides one way. I did them wrong and then they got changed and look better. So I'm really happy. I'm not like Steve. He probably has really nice slides. I don't. I'm the minor leagues. See, that's, there's my slide. That's it, man. <laughs> Where's the picture, dude? I don't have a picture. But trust me, for this for me is like stepping up. Pride. So why? Why do people suffer? It's pride. They say things like, I can handle this myself. And I don't know if you guys watched the TV show Last Man Standing, but it's um, the guy from Buzz Lightyear. I can't think of Tim Allen. Sorry. And, uh, you know, his saying in the family in this, in this show is Baxters. You know, they do everything right. They're the best. They, they pers- you know, and it's pride like that which says, you know, I can handle this myself. I'm a, I'm a Baxter. I'm a Pizor. Or I'm a Christian. Or, or I have a lot of willpower. I can handle this myself. So we suffer in silence because our belief is I can do this. I can get beyond this. Or it's something like I will never let people see that I am weak. Because it, it's, it's scary because as soon as you allow people to see that you're weak, what happens? Now we think that they have an advantage over us. And then they can come back and say, hey, look, look at you. You're weak. You can't handle this. And so we don't want people to know. We don't want people to know at all that we're weak. Or it could be something like in our pride we say, I just need God. A sort of pseudo-spirituality that says, Really, from the pulpit, we always say, all you need is God if you depend on him. And the answer to every question is Jesus. So all I need is God. I don't need people. I just need God. So I'm going to suffer in silence because my belief is all I really need is God. And ultimately, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but some of us will say, I don't want to be that needy person in the group. I don't know if you've ever been in a group setting. The needy person comes, and every week it's always about them and their pain. And so in our pride, we say, I don't want to be that person. Another reason why we suffer is because we believe that we've been betrayed in the midst of our vulnerability. You might have shared some of your pain in the past, and as you shared that pain and you spoke it to a group of people, then someone in that group went and told somebody else. And now in your vulnerability, you've been betrayed. And so you say, I will... Suffer in silence because I never want to experience that type of betrayal again. And then there's shame. Many of us feel, well, I'm not going to share. I'm going to suffer in silence because I'm ashamed of what I've done. 
thinking of the things that, wow, if people really knew who I am and what I struggled with, man, there's no way people are going to love and accept me. Which leads me to the last reason, which is why we suffer in silence, because we're afraid of being judged. Have you ever heard somebody say, man, the people at church are people I just wouldn't talk to because whenever I share something with, I feel like I'm getting judged. I don't want to tell them about my deep pains because if I do that, then it's going to be worse and they're going to judge me. I'll take a pass on that. Let's go back to this here in in Job. And I'm pretty sure everybody, I shouldn't say that. I would imagine that most of us here have an idea of the story of Job. Job was a righteous man, and his suffering was brought on him because he was a righteous man. In a sense, his suffering was brought on him because God was bragging about him. In the first chapter of Job, you read the fact that God says, Hey, Satan, see my servant Job? He's top-notch, man. He is right on. And Satan goes, Yeah, but that's only because you take care of him. And so for two rounds of this, ultimately Job loses everything. And in the midst of losing everything, Job says what? I will still worship God. So here is this man who loses his children. He loses his possessions. He loses his health. And in all of this, he still worships God. And that's where we started reading in chapter 2, verse 11. When Job's three friends heard about the troubles that had come upon him, They set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. Because what they're saying is he is our friend and we're going to go and we're going to be with him. Because in the midst of his troubles and difficulties, we want to be there. So I think Job is feeling a little bit comfortable. And I don't know if you've ever read beyond chapter 2. Because if you're like me, uh, chapter 3 up until about chapter 40 is a lot of stuff that's like too much you got to really think through it. I just like the simple, easy narrative. But I once read chapter 3, and it was very interesting. And here's what it says in Job chapter 3. Here's Job pouring out his heart to his friends. He says, Cursed be the day of my birth, and cursed be the night when I was conceived. Curse it for its failure to shut my mother's womb, for letting me be born to all this trouble. Why didn't I die when I came from the womb? Why did my mother let me live? I cannot eat for sighing. My groans pour out like water. What I have always feared has happened to me. What I dreaded has come to be. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest. Instead, only trouble. Aren't those wonderful words? I mean, you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, isn't this the guy in the last two chapters that was worshiping God? And now all of a sudden he's letting all this stuff out? Yes, it is. In a sense, he has not stopped worshiping God. All he's doing is saying, in the midst of my pain, I'm asking questions. I just want to know why. Why, God? Why did this happen? I mean, if you have to think about it, realistically, he lost 10 children. He lost tons of possessions, and now he's in a lot of pain because his health is bad. Wouldn't it make sense? For him to just go, God, I, I, I don't really want to experience this. Is there anyone here that would like to go through an experience like that? None of you? Why? Because it's too painful, right? So we're not, I'm not here to say, Job, shame on you. You should be saying, hallelujah, praise God, give me more. Because that's unrealistic. But here in the midst of his pain, he's pouring out his heart. 
And, and, and the, the cool thing, well, not the cool thing, that's really a bad word, but the strange thing that happens is that his comforters have some wonderful words for him. If you flipped over to Job chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, Eliphaz, his first friend to speak, says, Hey, listen, Job, man, in the past when people were hurting, you were there, man. You took care of people. That was really cool. But then he says this, But now when trouble strikes, you faint and are broken. Does your reverence for God give you no confidence? Shouldn't you believe that God will care for those who are upright? Stop and think. Does the innocent person perish? When has the upright person been destroyed? My experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. What Job is hearing from his friend Eliphaz, his friend who's come to comfort him, is this. Dude, bad things happen to bad people. This bad stuff that's happening to you, you've done something wrong. You've offended God. I mean, you started out well, right? Hey, you're really encouraging. You've been really helpful to people. But the truth is, you've done some really bad things. And now if you just repent, God will make it right. And so the rest of Job, in some ways, is is this discourse between Job and his friends. And it gets worse as each round passes. His friends get meaner and meaner. And this is how Eliphaz finishes in his last speech in Job chapter 22. He says this, Job, you think you're innocent? Dude, not at all. It is because of your wickedness. Your guilt has no limit. For example... You must have lent money to your friend and then kept the clothing he gave you as a pledge. Yes, you stripped him to the bone. You must have refused water for the thirsty and food for the hungry. After all, you think land belongs to the powerful and that those who are privileged have a right to it. You must have sent widows away without helping them and crushed the strength of orphans. That is why you are surrounded by traps and sudden fears. Isn't that crazy? They came from a huge distance to comfort Job. Job pours out his heart, and they rip him to pieces. Remember, Eliphaz is the guy who said, you know, when people were in trouble in the past, you were there for them. To finish with, you wicked man, he's making up things that Job hasn't even done. Now, why do people suffer in silence? Because they don't want to get judged. Who wants to pour out their heart to their friends and then hear their friends say, well, what sin did you commit? What'd you do wrong? Can't you see? Look at your attitude, dude. Your attitude is horrible. That's not a worshipful attitude. Say hallelujah. Not curse the day of my birth. And so people suffer in silence. Now, standing here, I wish that I could tell you that I am better than Job's comforters. Let me give you an idea of some of the things that I have unfortunately done. When I first became a follower of Christ, a friend of mine called up and she was explaining that uh, she'd given birth to a, a premature child. And uh, the child was in ICCU. Uh, I, not ICC, I'm saying ICC. <laughs> ICU <laughs> for months on end. She'd go to the hospital every day just watching uh, her little child struggle. And uh, then one day the child died. And I remember a conversation that I had with her, and she, was, she, she asked me this question, why would God do that? Why would God allow, and remember, she's not a follower of Christ, why would God allow this child to be born and then die? And she was angry at God, and I said, you're angry at God? Look at what you did to his son when you put 
put him on the cross because of your sin. Isn't that comforting? <laughs> really? I mean, come on. Seriously. I mean, that was worse than Job's friends. I basically said, you've ruined God. And you have the gall to complain about what he's done to your child? What is wrong with you, girl? And the reality is God is saying, what is wrong with you, Frank? A few weeks ago at Willow Creek Community Church, we work, uh, our youth group goes to the care center and helps people getting food and all the other stuff. And one of these ladies said, I said to her, can I, can I pray for you? Is there anything I pray for? And she says, you know, my, my, my husband is having some problems, um, immigration stuff. And, and uh, so I said, so is he getting deported? And, I, and as soon as I said that, I said to myself, what is wrong with you? Do you realize that you just said her husband is illegal? What is wrong with you? And so when I'm telling you this, I'm not standing up here and saying, look at Job's friends. What a chocolate mess they are. How mean-spirited, mean-hearted they are. What I'm telling you is this. The reason people suffer in silence is that there are people like Job's friends, people like me who are trying to help, sometimes just don't help, who say these things that are judgmental. And so a lot of people say, I will not share my pain because why should I get judged? It's difficult enough to live in this pain and then to have someone come alongside of me and bludgeon me to death just does not make sense. And so people will suffer in silence simply because they don't want to be judged. It's too painful. Now, I don't know if anyone here is suffering in silence, but I want to encourage you Look beyond people like Job's friends. Look beyond people like me who do make mistakes. And do not continue to suffer in silence. Suffering in silence, whether it is because of something that's going wrong in your life because of sin, or something that's going on in your life because someone else has sinned against you, or just because it is the difficulties of life, I want to encourage you, do not suffer in silence. Yes, you just need God. But God has placed you in a family so that the family can be a representation of who God actually is. So now knowing that suffering in silence is not a good thing and Job hasn't done it, let's go back to chapter 2 here. (coughs) And let's see what Job's friends do. And I think they're going to do some really good things. To start, when Job's three friends heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, They set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. Now, here's what I want to say, church family. Listen, some of you are suffering in silence. It breaks my heart to hear that. I want to say I'm passionate about it because I saw what happened to my friend. I see what happens to other people who want to continue to suffer in silence. It's not worth it. It doesn't help. It doesn't heal. It doesn't benefit. Go get help. But the church family must do at least two things. And the first one is this. Do whatever it takes to be there. Look at Job's friends. Listen, Job's friends aren't his neighbors. It doesn't say Job's neighbors. It says Job's friends. Job's friends saw the trouble that had come upon him. And and what they did is, living far away, they got together first to meet and say, Hey, did you hear about Job? He's in a bad spot. 
Man, let us go and sympathize with him. Let us go and be there. So the church, what we must do in reality is we must do whatever it takes in order to help those who suffer in silence to be able to feel free to come out from that silence and to know that someone will walk with them and bring them to healing and freedom. So these friends travel from this distance, and it's not just one of those things where you can just say, hey, that's Job's times. And, and back in those days, people didn't do anything. They just sat around the campfire. They didn't sing Kumbaya because the song wasn't written yet, but they sat around the campfire, and that's all they did. No, Job's friends, like him, are probably very rich and have a lot of work to do. How many of you would be willing to take off at least two? Well, I shouldn't say that because you'd all be willing to take off week for two, work for two weeks, right? But how many of you have the ability to take off work for two weeks to go comfort a hurting friend? Most of us don't, right? And at least for two weeks, and maybe even longer, depending on the travel schedule that, or where these guys had to come from, these guys came and they did whatever it takes. What they're saying is to Job is this. Listen, we may be coming from Hong Kong. We may be coming from Berlin. We may be coming from Cape Town, South Africa. But we are here for you, man, in Chicago. In the midst of your suffering, we are here. We have left family. We have left friends. We have left our businesses because you matter to us. We will do whatever it takes. It's not a question of, hey, how much is the airfare? Oh, man, the airfare is $750. Now, if it was $550, I could make it for you. But $750, that's asking too much. These guys, if they had to fly in, what they're saying is price doesn't matter. If I have to pay $3,000 to get to your place to be a comfort, I'm going to be there. Their attitude is whatever it takes, we will do it in order to be by your side, Job. We will travel these great distances. (coughs) And it is my hope that the church would be very much like that. But unfortunately, it's not. And it's not a condemnation of the church. It's just saying this is what really happens. Because let's think about it. There's several reasons why we can't. Number one is because we're too busy. How many of you have lounge time? Like you've got nothing better to do for days on end. Anybody here? Nobody has lounge time? You guys are all busy? Well, that's why. It's hard for us to walk alongside other people Because we're too busy. But there's another reason is we don't know what to say. How many of you feel comfortable when you go to wakes? Does anyone feel comfortable when you go to a wake? And and how do you comfort somebody? I always feel uncomfortable. I don't know what to say. So my new trick is kind of like to shake your hand, hug, and that's it. Because I, I feel inadequate. What were you just experienced loss? Words with so fresh of a loss don't always bring healing. I mean, we'd like to think that, but they don't. And so we feel inadequate. What am I going to say? Others of us are uncomfortable with people's pain. We don't like to be surrounded by pain, and it's uncomfortable to hear somebody in the midst of their pain. Personally, in a trivial manner, I never like to hear about sports injuries because they always make me think one day I'm going to have that thing happen to me. Does anyone remember when that NCAA player broke his leg? I, I, I couldn't even look at the film of it because the, just the thought of a bone sticking out of the leg is too much for me, but it, it just, I, I can't be around that. It makes me feel uncomfortable. But to be around someone's loss and pain and hurt, no, that's uncomfortable. I think in reality, sometimes we just don't care. Just don't care. Hey, man, you're hurting. Well, you know, suck it up or you're a Christian or trust God or whatever it is, but, eh, you know, it's not for me, it's... I'm not into that stuff. 
For other people, we're just overwhelmed by our own suffering. We're here and we're thinking to ourselves, man, I'm in a bad spot. You're in a bad spot. I can't do this. I don't have the answer. I have a hard time getting out of bed sometimes. And you're asking me to care? I can't do it. It's too much. And then finally, some of us don't even understand how much it costs to walk with someone. It costs a lot. Years ago, uh, my wife and I, we have a friend. She was a healthy, young adult female, runner, loved to run. And uh, on a mission strip in the summer, my wife tells me that uh, our friend has lost her capacity to walk. Okay, and, I, and they're not even sure what it is. It's a virus. That's all they could tell her. It's a virus. How we take care of this. Not, to this day, she still is unable to walk. But I remember, and this is for once I did something right, thank God. But I remember because she wanted to go back to work and can't drive at that point because she had to learn how to drive. And she didn't. So every Monday on my day off, I did whatever it takes. And for about 18 months, I would drive from Mount Prospect to Skokie all the way up to Abbott, which is in what, Lincolnshire or whatever it is, and then back home. It was like a two-and-a-half-hour journey. You have to get up at like 6.30, get out of the house by 7, and then get home by 9.30. And the reality is rain, snow, sunshine. The mentality of my wife and myself was this. We will do whatever it takes to help her get to work. That's what the church needs to be like. And that's what Job's friends are doing. What they're saying is, we will do whatever it takes. We will be there for you, Job. They did something right, at least in the beginning. But the second thing they did is this. They came alongside him. They came alongside. We need to come alongside the person who is suffering. Look what it says. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. In other words, when they heard the news, that was bad. But when they saw him, they were grieving. And so they entered into grief with Job. And then look what happens. Verse 13. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. What they're saying is this. We are going to come alongside of you. We will be here. Now, mind you, this is pre-talk, which is probably what they should have never done is talk. But they were there for him. We will be with you. How many of us have ever, let me me change the question. How many of you enjoy sitting there in silence? How many of you can last for more than five minutes? Without your mind racing somewhere, right? I mean, if you're like me, sometimes I'm in the middle of a prayer or even listening to the prayer today, and suddenly I'm, I'm agreeing in a prayer, and then suddenly something is said, and I think, oh, hey, wait a minute. And then I start to wander off. I cannot imagine sometimes what would it be like to sit there for seven days and seven nights in absolute silence, grieving with each other. But their message was, Joe, we are here for you and we will walk alongside of you. Now, I'm not sure what happened on day eight, man, because they lost it. As you saw earlier, they just went crazy on him. But at least for seven days, maybe a little, a little bit before that, these guys were spot on. They did whatever it took in order to meet Job where he was at, and then they just sat there with him. <coughs> and they grieved with him. They came alongside him. So what would be my encouragement? Okay, so people here in this church are probably suffering in silence. Right? 
And in, in the midst of that, what does the church need to do? The church needs to come alongside them. How? Here's what I think is the secret, is just be there. Isn't that easy? Just be there. You don't have to come with an agenda. You don't have to come with the thought that, hey, I'm going to say the words that are going to save the day. You just need to be there, to be there and listen, to be there and care. But if you're like me, that's hard, isn't it? Don't you want to be the person that comes and says those words that bring such great comfort that the person looks at you, tears running down their cheeks, and they say, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Don't you want to be that person? I do. That's an awesome feeling. Unfortunately, it's not what people need in the midst of their pain when it's fresh. They need someone there. Now think about this. What are some of the things that we tell people? We think, say things like this. I know how you feel. Okay, wait a minute. My mom just died, and you're telling me you know how I feel? That's why, listen, because even if your mom passed away and you have experience of that, you're not that other person. You didn't have that relationship that they had with their mom. It's a different thing. I know you're trying to be comforting, but when you say, I know how you feel, that doesn't work. It's better to be silent like Job's friends initially were. We might say something like this. You know what? I'm going to tell a victory story like this. I once had a friend who suffered worse than you, and this friend of mine, they came through with flying colors. They served and loved Jesus even in the midst of their pain. Translation, what's wrong with you, man? Why can't you do the same thing? Why can't you be like so-and-so? That's not very comforting. You just told me a victory story, and now I feel worse because in the midst of my suffering, I can't seem to move on. And you tell me about your friend who's great and awesome, and then there's me who's not. I'm sorry. I disappoint. How about this? God won't give you any more than you can handle. Translation. Okay, first of all, that's temptation in 1 Corinthians. It's not talking about suffering. But the translation is, you're weak. You lack faith. You don't trust God. God would never give you more than you can handle. And yet I wonder, maybe God does give us in suffering more than we can handle so that we might turn to him. But to say those words are painful and make it worse. Bottom line is this, just be there. Like Job's friends, for seven days and seven nights, they were there in silence. And I can imagine Job feeling the comfort of their presence, which didn't last on day eight and beyond. But at least for day seven, those four seven days, he felt that they were with him. <coughs> Let me finish with this. I want to say a few things to those who suffer in silence, and then I want to say a few things to those who are called to be comforters, which is all of us. The first thing is this. After looking at Job, to those who suffer in silence, be vulnerable. Be vulnerable and look for someone to walk with you. Now, I'm not saying stand before the church and give a testimony. That would miss the point. What I'm saying is find those people that you know who are close to your heart, those you can trust, and be vulnerable and say, this is where I am at. I am in pain. I am struggling with this. I am suffering through this. I'm having a hard time doing this. Will you walk with me? Number two, expect to be judged but not by everyone. 
And I say that because sometimes the people that we think should care the most don't. And they do end up judging us. But I want you to know that in the church there are people who do not judge. Because we realize our own weakness. And we realize I'm not that great either. And I could be in a bad spot too. And but for the grace of God, this is where I am now. But I want to tell you this much, I'm not going to judge you. But people will. But it doesn't matter. It's us walking together. Third thing, expect people to make mistakes. Expect people to make mistakes, but look at their heart. Because I'll be honest with you, I make a lot of mistakes. That lady at Willow Creek, I, I, don't, I don't think she understood what I meant, which I, I, you know, trust me, when I walked away from her, I was praying, God, please wipe her memory. Any Harry Potter fans? <laughs> if you're a Harry Potter fan, I'm sitting there thinking, God, I, right now I wish I had a memory charm so I could just zap her and she could forget the stupid thing that this idiot just said to her in the midst of her pain. But my heart was for her because I was broken hearted by the fact that one, if he was in a detention center and, I, and I've had heard rumors about detention centers when they deport people, they're horrible places to be. They're worse than prisons. They're much worse because you have no rights. And so they, so my heart was breaking that like, if your husband's in this spot, that's really bad. I don't want him to be there. I, but even though I was wrong, my heart was in the right place. And so sometimes we will say things that are wrong, but trust our hearts. I am for you. We are for you. We are a family. We don't let family suffer in silence. We want to get around you. We want to surround you. So listen, if we make mistakes, just look at our heart. Trust us. Don't run away. And finally, if people do speak the truth to you, listen. Because they do care. So today, if you're here and you're suffering in silence, take these four things and run with them. Grab onto them, embrace them, hold them, and recognize that the family of God wants to come around you. Because for all of us as a family, when family is family, acting is family, nothing matters except that everybody in the family is together and whole. Nothing else matters. And and I'll be honest with you. Like I told people at Harvest, if this family will not come around you in the midst of your pain, I want to encourage you to go somewhere else and find someone who does. And I don't, Harvest is not like that, but I'm just saying, if you're at a church and people aren't going to care for you in the midst of your pain, then you shouldn't be in that church. But I want to say this. I believe Harvest is a lot like Emmanuel, and you will find a lot of people who will come around you just like Job's friends, and they will walk with you. They will do whatever it takes. Now, for those of you who are going to comfort, I want to give you three things. One, be the person, be with the person through thick and thin. Be the type of person that will walk with someone through thick and thin. And it's not going to be easy because sometimes people say and do things that just aren't good. And sometimes they're hurtful. But you don't say, hey, wait a minute, I'm done with you, man. I mean, imagine if you have a child... And if anyone listens to the news with all the, the, the heroin stuff that's going on and how people get addicted, if your child ever, and I hope it never happens, were to be addicted by heroin and they go through he- rehab once and they go through rehab twice and then you toss up your hands and say, hey, you know what, I'm done with you? There's a problem. I'm not saying that you should let your kids run over you. What I'm saying is because your family, we stick with them through thick and thin, no matter what. I am here with you. I am here for you. And so the church needs to become those kind of people because the world that we live in is a hurting world. 
And last week when I asked at Harvest, I went through a whole bunch of things and I asked the church after I go through this whole list of things that people have difficulties with. Loss of a family member, loss of a job, loss of this, difficult depression, um, all these kind of things. Almost the whole church stood up. Only three people didn't. Two of them I know were lying and one was a visitor. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? So if we ran through that list, I have a feeling that most of you, if not all of you, are going to stand up and say, yes, I may not be in pain now, but I was in pain back then. And unfortunately, you're all going to be in pain in the future. And I'm not trying to be mean about that, but realize some of you who have still parents, you're going to lose your parents. I wish death didn't exist. Some of us are going to lose spouses. The hardest thing to hear is when a mother or a father dies and someone's left with children behind. Painful. It's going to happen. So I think God is asking us, listen, be the type of church family that walks with people through thick and thin. Number two, don't feel obligated to have the answers. I'm not asking you, and I don't think God is asking any of us to have the answers. You know, God does not call us to be the cure. He only calls us to care. There's a huge difference. We all come and think, you know, I'm here. I am the cure. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to. No. No, you are not the cure. Jesus is the cure. What he calls you to do is care. And there's a huge difference. You don't have to have the answers. You don't have to feel inadequate because you don't know what to say. If you don't know what to say, don't say anything. You don't have to be wise. You don't have to be Solomon. You just have to be there. And then this last thing, be wise when you speak. If you speak, I should say. Give people time to grieve. In 1983, my brother was killed in a courtroom. 25 years later, as we're celebrating my father's birth and ultimately before his stroke and he died two years later, I could still feel the rawness of the pain of having lost my brother and all of my older siblings. Now, I'm the last of seven, so I didn't know him as much, but everybody else, even my oldest brother, he was the first and my brother was the second, and he was still in tears, crying. He still cannot sleep well at nights. Do I tell him, suck it up, brother? Now, grief, pain, depression, all of those things affect people in different ways. We just need to be there. And we just need to care. So it's a simple message today, I think. Why do people suffer in silence? Because among many reasons, the biggest one being they expect to be judged. So let's crush that myth about the church. And let's say, hey, you know what? We're not going to judge. We're going to care. We're going to be there for you. Like Job's friends, we'll do whatever it takes. Like Job's friends, we will come alongside of you. But unlike Job's friends, we will not say the things that will drive you further away from God. We will be there for you. Let's pray. Father, it is so hard to suffer, but so much more difficult to suffer in silence. Father, my prayer, if there is anyone here today at all, in any way, shape, and form, who is suffering and suffering in silence, that instead you would give freedom and grace 
that your spirit will fill in a way that would drive us not only to you, but to seek your help through the church family. And my prayer for this church family, for the Harvest Church family, for churches all over the world, that we would be recognized for our love and our care, our discernment, of course, towards those who wander off into sin. But just because someone's suffering, it doesn't mean that they've sinned. They may have been sinned against. The man or woman here today who has been abused by a grandparent or a parent or a sibling or a cousin or a neighbor, that's not an easy pain. It's not a sin that they've committed. Pray for anyone who is suffering in silence that they know that they can come to your family, your church, and know that your heart hands and your feet will be what they find. Amen.